This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. Pope Francis saying we should ask God for the gift of conversion this Advent. In his Sunday Angelus address yesterday, the Pope calling Advent an itinerary of conversion, acknowledging that true conversion is difficult and we may be tempted to believe it's impossible to leave our sins behind. Because of his public support for abortion, Archbishop Charles Shapu says that if Catholic Democrat Joe Biden should be confirmed as president, he should not receive Holy Communion. He warns that bishops who publicly announce their intention to give Biden communion risk doing a serious disservice to Biden and the rest of the American bishops. A Swiss court suspends a ban on public worship, Catholic masses, and other public religious services can now resume in the city of Geneva and surrounding areas until the court hands down its final judgment on the ban. I'm Teresa Tamio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. Starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I can't believe he doesn't every so often say the hometown of Dr. Ray. I mean, okay, I got to admit, she's she's pretty high-profile presence, dear Mother Angelica. But maybe I've mentioned sideways every once in a while. And the hometown of Roy Ganuti. Good to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. I am Roy Ganuti, or thereabouts, Ray Gandhi, Rick Gandhi, I don't know, one of those things. People, oh my gosh, you could you could imagine the name butchered up when I get stuff in the mail. But what's worse is when you get a plaque. I got this plaque, forget what it was exactly for, but it said, the plaque said, I'm not making this up, Dr. D.R. Ray Grundy, G-R-U-N-D-Y, Jr., on the plaque of some recognition thing, which kind of tells you how important they thought I was. Well, anyway, I think you're important, and I think your emails are important. So important that I'm not going to call them emails. Again, I need to be sensitive, uh, linguistically sensitive. Language is constantly changing, and I always need to stay two days ahead of it because it can turn on you. And what was okay to say three days ago is now we'll put you voted off the island. We'll get to your e-persons shortly because this is e-person Monday. And we had to find a way to address a lot of the e-persons we get. We get a lot through the TV show. Um, there's a little little blip in the TV show that says, we'd like to hear from you. And you people are kind enough to, to send me e-persons. And, and I know that. Some of them come from the television show because when I write back and say, can you please call the show? I'd like to ask some questions to clarify. Some of them will say, I, how, I don't know how to get in touch with a TV show. So they're not even aware there's a radio show. 
So I write him back a very nasty letter. No, I don't, I don't, I don't. I've spoken about this before, but I want to take it in a different direction. I started lifting weights in college, shortly after World War One. My brother, who is 15 years younger than I am, when he was 12, I was 27, would come down my parents' basement and would count the reps. That was his first exposure to lifting weights. But very shortly, he started lifting too. And so we've been lifting together for decades. Not uncommonly, somebody will come in and notice that that we're there too pretty frequently. And they'll ask, how long you guys been doing this? Oh, decades. How do you stay at it? What's what's the secret to staying with it, to exercising, persevering? We'll give some version of well, there aren't there are no secrets. You just have to show up. I know, I know, I know. But then, you know, I'm at home and I I start thinking, and it's kind of cold out. And this is the direction I now want to go. Much of what is good for us to do, whether it's straightening up our house whether it is writing a thank you letter, in my case, working on a book, or exercising, waxing the car, cleaning out the garage. All too often, we begin an internal debate. The pros and cons of taking on this particular momentary project I will tell you the hardest thing that I do. Harder than lifting weights, harder than the exercise elliptical, is writing. It's very difficult to try to put down thoughts, make them coherent, make them cute, make them have a nice turn to the phrase. That's that's just mental exercise that is harder than physical exercise. Physical exercise is mindless for the most part. You have to psych yourself up, but it's mindless for the most part. The mental exercise, you just you have to focus, you have to think. If I were to get up in the morning, like I did this morning, and say to myself, I know I should be writing, but I just uh I just don't I just don't feel like it. And then I debated. I said, well, you know, I can start at 10 or maybe I can maybe I can do this first and then see if I have time to lift it. If I do that, I'm not going to write. It's that simple. The internal debate keeps you more often than not from doing what you should do. I had to walk over to the island where I write from in our kitchen, sit down, grab the pencil, and look at the particular thing I was working on. If I were to think about doing that prior to doing it, oh, there's a good chance it wouldn't be done. Oh, no. My internal debate, the longer it goes on, the less likely I am to do what I know would be good for me to do, whether that's exercising, whether that's cleaning up something, whether it is calling someone that I really need to call. You know, I need to take care of this. I have some things that I have to do on the Internet. And I know, because I've been putting off this particular internet project for days and weeks now, every time it's because of the internal debate. If I just went over and sat down at the computer without thinking, 
one foot in front of the other, sit down, turn a computer on, I would find that I would overcome the initial inertia and do it. Now, the reason I've been getting away with not doing it is because I've been doing other stuff. And the other stuff that I've been doing, I could have internal debates about that too. But I don't. The other stuff I just go do. I cannot tell you how often I can count on one thumb the times that I have said to myself, especially the last many years, I can't wait to go in there and push against gravity. Wow. Going to the point of exhaustion with every exercise. What a wonderful, exhilarating feeling. That might have been the case when I was 28. Even 38, 48. When I felt like I was lifting on the moon. Well, now I feel like I'm lifting on Jupiter. If you guys know your gravitational pulls. But I, have, I don't miss. I don't miss lifts. There's been times when I've had surgery on one hand or one arm or one elbow from, <laughs> from lifting problems, and I lift it with the other arm. Why? Is it because I love lifting? No. <laughs> it's because I just show up. And I know that if I sat at home and said, oh, I don't know, I just, I'm just not up to it, I wouldn't. If you internally debate on things that you know would be good for you to do, you'll probably lose. And you probably won't do it because we are very good at convincing ourselves. Now is not the time. I can do this later. Internal debates. Not a good thing for being responsible and perseverant. When we come back, you're e persons. Join Monica Miller, Janet Smith, Joe Scheidler, and other great speakers for the Red Rose Rescue National Pro-Life Conference. Learn about and become part of this exciting, bold, and effective defense of the unborn. Be there Saturday, December 12th in St. Charles, Missouri. Attend virtually or in person. For all details and to register, see RedRoseRescue.com, RedRoseRescue.com. I'm Dr. Stan Williams, and this is The Logic of Catholicism. Solanus Casey said, Appreciation is as necessary for social order and harmony as are the laws of gravity for the physical world. There are a lot of things we can't not know. Take gravity, for instance. When you put your foot down, it stays there, unless your spouse pulls out the rug you're standing on. Gravity is not just a good idea, of course. It's the law, a natural law and you can't change natural laws. They are what keeps the universe in order. For instance, gravity reminds you not to step off a cliff without suffering painful and life-threatening consequences. Ah, law and order, something to appreciate. Today, tell someone you appreciate God's laws and his order that keeps you grounded. And that's the logic of Catholicism. Explore more at AveMariaRadio.net. Under resources, look for me. Dr. Stan Williams. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. 
The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. A little story here I find fascinating because I did long ago teach a few college courses. At the university, there were four sophomores taking chemistry. All of them had an A so far. These four were so confident that the weekend before finals, they decided instead of studying to have a party. But after all the partying, they slept all day Sunday didn't make it back to the university until early Monday morning. They were so tired, they knew they wouldn't do well on the final exam. So they said they would explain to their professor that they were visiting friends, but on the way back, they blew a tire, had a flat tire. As a result, they missed the final. The professor was very agreeable. Good-thinking guy said, uh, okay, make it up the next day. So the guys figured, all right, he pulled that one off. They studied, ready for the exam. The professor had him come in, and he, he put him in separate rooms, and he gave each of them a test booklet. When he had the first problems worth five points, and they answered it. They thought, this is easy. I know this stuff. They turned the test page, and on the second page was written, for 95 points... Which tire? <laughs> Okie dokie. Dr. Ray, we're a Catholic family with five kids. Youngest four-year-old boy, oldest ten-year-old girl. All of our children embrace the faith very well, learning their prayers, excited about Mass, the sacraments, except for the youngest. That's a four-year-old. He just fights everything spiritual. Especially comes out in the evening when we're praying as a family. He absolutely refuses to learn the Hail Mary or to even try. Today, I tried to entice him with a new toy. Saying that if, if he learned the Hail Mary and prayed along with us, he could get the toy. He ended up in tears, screaming the words in anger, <laughs> yelling the Hail Mary, huh? <laughs> watch out for lightning, gritting his teeth and just saying, I can't do it. I'm trying to imitate him. Generally, he's a very happy, loving little boy with a bit of an ornery streak. Oh, okay, see that coming out. Now, here's the question. Now, I... <clears throat> I would have to say there's there's a significant part of me that says I don't know the answer to this. But I'm going to speculate. Dad says, is my little boy just being ornery? And we need to stick with our prayers and let him grow out of it. 
Or should we talk with our... Now, here's, here's the crux of the question. Should we talk with our priest about this and see if we're dealing with more than just a stubborn little boy? Now, what, what would that more be, Dad? By implication, it sounds like uh, a little spiritual warfare going on with this little four-year-old. That somehow there's, there's something in him that is preternaturally resisting anything holy, I personally would not go anywhere near that far. Not even close. I would begin by thinking that there's, there's something about this particular little fam, family gatherings and teachings that he finds distasteful. Whatever that might be. I don't want to sit here... Uh, they they say prayers and I don't know how to do it. I can't I can't figure it out. It really makes me mad. I can't figure it out. So I'm really upset and I'm not gonna try. He's only four, right? If this were a ten year old doing this, I'd think yeah. I tell you what, this 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 is this is this is raw rebellion here. I don't want any part of this religion stuff. This is a four year old. You got a lot of immaturity involved in this whole episode. I would probably say. Things like, you have to sit here with us when we pray. I'm not going to ask you to pray. And he'll just sit there and he'll keep himself occupied however he does. And then I would, periodically, when it's his turn, I would say, is there anything you want to pray? He doesn't have to necessarily have to know the prayer. It just comes down to he just doesn't feel competent enough to learn the prayer at age four. Anything you want to pray? Anything you want to tell God? Our Blessed Mother? No. Okay. After prayer time, he's four. He's going to come to me and ask for his Lego blocks or his book or something. And I probably will say, no, I know me. I know what I'd say. I'd say, I, I'd love to give you your Lego box, but you, blocks, but you know, when we were praying, you didn't pray. That's, that's not good. Jesus would like you to pray to him, and so would his mother Mary. So, no, no, if, you, if you're going to be disrespectful to our blessed mother or to Jesus... Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not giving you your block. Do that 10, 20, 30, 40 times over the next month or so that he just continues to dig in his heels and not pray or whatever the reason. I see. Here's this is the kind of question that shakes parents up. Let's say that you're sitting there praying and he decides at age four to start banging something, to be deliberately disruptive when anybody prays. You would have much more confidence dealing with that because you'd see it as misbehavior. This, you don't know what quite to make of it. Yeah, it's got some misbehavior component, but is there something I'm not reading correctly about all this? Is this something spiritual? Is this 
Is this an indication that my four-year-old little boy is just on his way to being an atheist? And it's all just begun? And I'm going to look back when he's 21 and say, you know, he never, ever, ever embraced anything religious. And I don't know what it was about the way he's wired. I don't know who or what was influencing him, but boy, is he different than the other kids. That makes it less likely that you will expect him to cooperate. Dr. Ray, what good does it do to force anybody to pray? Well, you're... You're not forcing him. You didn't force him to pray. You didn't sit there and badger him. You just said, if you're going to be disrespectful, which is what it is, okay, you you wouldn't let him be disrespectful to you. You wouldn't let him ignore you. You wouldn't let him badger a sibling. So, you're not letting him be disrespectful to God. That's all. That's what you're doing. But Dr. Ray... If his heart is not in it, what good does that do? Well, little kids' hearts are not in a whole lot of things. They're not in eating vegetables. They're not into going to school much of the time. They're not into practicing piano. They're not into cleaning their room. They're not into a lot of things. What do we do as parents? We we make them. Because we know that in the long run, it's good for them. So what you're doing here, Dad, is you're making your son, even if it's just at age four, going through the motions of praying. I'll draw a parallel. I will draw a parallel. I'm distressed when I look around me in mass and I watch the adolescents in there, the teenagers. Now, there's a lot less of them Definitely a lot less of them than uh, there were when I was growing up. Um, you had a much much more of a mix of uh, age ranges when I was growing up. Now the age range is drifting toward the older. However, there are there are numbers for uh, for example of uh, of teenage kids in there, and their their response to the mass is is very sluggish, if it exists. There's nothing. They just kind of stand there like pillars of salt and don't respond. Maybe they'll take part in the Our Father. But in terms of singing, in terms of responding to the prayers with the congregational response, they don't. They just don't. They just stare. If it were me, I don't have any teenagers anymore, but I did this when they were. Uh, I would I kind of kind of notice I kind of see their level of involvement in all of this, and then later, I would say you were very disrespectful to our Lord. You kind of ignored him. You didn't pray to him. So don't 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 ask me for for the for your next privilege or two or three. Don't no, I can't do that. If you're gonna if you're gonna if you're going to just neglect our Lord and not pay attention to him, which is really kind of a form of disrespect, then uh, eh, and I don't think I'm going to give you some of the perks that you've gotten used to. I, with the littler kids, you know what we did when we'd go out to breakfast? If we, if we had a problem with them at Mass in terms of their behavior, and I'm not talking a two-year-old, I'm talking five, six, seven, eight. Uh, well, you're not going to eat breakfast. You'll, you'll eat at home cereal. 
but you're, I'm not paying for your breakfast after mass after you just more or less created a disruption or I had to remind you a number of times to settle or or you even just paid no attention. You were just kind of flitting around. Oh, but Dr. Ray, kids do that. Yes, I know they do. I do it. I'm not paying attention half the time. I have to keep pulling myself back. But it's my job to, to say it is important to learn to do this. You'll understand the deeper meaning as you get older. But in the meantime, I can't let you just say, eh, I don't want any part of it. And I think that's what this little four-year-old guy's doing. I think if it were my guess, my guess would be there is a, a lot of stubborn resistance. But in a way, Dad, it doesn't matter. Because even if it's half stubborn resistance and half some kind of inexplicable distaste for anything spiritual, it doesn't matter. Because you have to still approach it in a lot of respects the same way. You're not going to do therapy with a four-year-old and explore his motives for not wanting to say a Hail Mary. Good luck with that one. And you can come to me and I'll see your little kid and play in the sandbox and and charge you X dollars an hour. But uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to make any difference with his praying. He's got to come to the conclusion that it's in his best interest to pray. And that's where dad comes in and says, I'm kind of going to make it in your best interest to pray, son, even if you don't understand it at age four. teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In the Bread of Life discourse documented in John chapter 6, Jesus states that He is the bread of life, and that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. The Jews were scandalized in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus does not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. What is prayer? The Catholic Catechism defines prayer simply as the raising of our mind and heart to God. Humility is the foundation of prayer. When we pray, do we speak from the height of our mind and will? or from the depths of a humble and contrite heart. It is only when we acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought are we then ready to receive the gift of prayer. St. Augustine points out that when we come to the well seeking water, Christ comes to meet us. He first seeks us and asks for a drink. His asking arises from God's desire for us. God's thirst encounters our thirst. He thirsts that we may thirst for Him. Where does prayer come from? 
Scripture most frequently cites the heart. If the heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Dr. Ray Durandy, father of ten, five boys, five estrogen Americans. I am my dog's master. Well, you know those dogs could tear me up, but they don't know that. Mm-hmm. I know. A couple times I've had to be very stern with them, and I towered over them as best I could. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want them to know that they could hurt me, because then I'd have to get rid of them. Dr. Ray Garendi, thanks. Here we are on this E-Person Monday. The doctor is in. Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. E-Person Monday is our Monday edition. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we take live calls. And Friday, we have Look Back Friday, where we take previous calls. And then I comment more on them. I always want to say more. Um, This is a co-production of the uh, EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network as well as Ave Maria Radio Communications there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dr. Ray, what is my moral obligation here? My mother-in-law is a hoarder and has been for years. She's now in her mid-70s and starting to develop health problems, and I think it's related to the unclean environment she lives in I've tried talking to my wife and some of her four siblings about putting their mom into an assisted living facility where she can get help but their take on this is quote that's just mom I wonder if they're saying yeah she's always been she's always been kind of quirky now it's just getting a little worse as she gets older should I stay out of it and let the five of them take care of it. Not too many questions that I get on this program are so easily addressed. Yes. Okay, that's it. No, I want to comment some more. Hoarding is often a sign of deteriorating cognitive condition. You see it in folks that are either on the front end of dementia or in some area of dementia or they've had mental illness. And so this kind of hoarding, this kind of completely irrational accumulation of stuff to the point where you can't navigate the house is there. Uh, (laughs) Pathology is sometimes societal. Let me explain that. Let's say that you were a Palestinian at the time of Christ. I doubt that they had any hoarders whatsoever. Why? Because they didn't have much to hoard. You didn't hear much about hoarding in my grandparents' generation. Although they had material things, and they in fact, went through their share of dementia, too, even though they didn't live as long, so 
less likely to experience cognitive deterioration. There wasn't much hoarding. Why? Well, they had a lot less. You know, the average American in 1935, 1940, 1945 didn't have all that much. So if you're going to hoard, you, you, you have to have the ability to, for, to hoard, to accumulate. Well, we, we are very materially accumulative. We got a lot of stuff, a lot. And we have the money, by and large, to adorn ourselves or to buy things or to I know an awful lot of people who hoard and they don't need it at all. They just buy it. They never open it, never do anything with it. They just have it. So that's one factor. I think the the, the different kinds of pathologies are oftentimes related to the society with which you live in. I don't know you said she's hoarded for several years. So that indicates to me, Dan, that that's uh, not something you're talking about. That's not going to happen. You have tried, by the way. You said, what is my moral obligation? Well, if you're worried about your moral obligation, you tried. You said. If you call her mom, you said, mom, what about this? What about this? Have you thought about going here? Have you went out living here? You, you've tried. And she looked at you like a dog looks at us when we talk to them. What do they hear? Blah, 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 Max. Blah, 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 Max. So that's what she hears from you. You have absolutely no more obligation, in my non-theological opinion, to do anything more about this. She has four children. Oh, okay. So I don't know if your wife is one of the four siblings or not. But I suspect... At this point, some of them saying that's just mom means they don't want to yet deal with the issue. Oh, sorry, that's psychobabble. With the matter, with the problem of what she's doing to her home and what she's doing to her health and what she's doing to her ability to function day to day. They don't want to deal with that yet. Typically, in families, they put it off because they know the battle, the ill will they could have trying to remove someone who has lived in the same house for who knows how long out plus she's surrounded by her stuff and she doesn't want to get separated from her stuff i think it's common dan i think that at some point here in the next years they will be forced to make some decisions about how mom is is best living Uh, can she live independently or not um, if the hoarding is a sign of a deteriorating mental condition, and you guys know that, I don't. I have no idea. Because I know there are some hoarders that, in, in other respects, seem pretty clear. But by and large, not. Um, so given all that, um, you'll just have to sit by and watch it unfold, Dan. Because it's, uh, it's not going to go anywhere except probably down, would be my guess. And the fact that the siblings are playing it down, that's just mom. Tells me two things. One, uh, they've seen their mom as maybe a little bit odd over the years. When you when you have somebody who's hoarding like crazy and you say, that's just mom, <laughs> what is that saying about your view of your mother's stability? And then the other thing, of course, is we don't want to deal with this yet. It's not time. She can still function in her home. Uh, yeah, it makes it tough when we go over there trying to find a place to sit 
Um, but in fact, we're not going to rock, not going to rattle that cage just yet because we know what could happen. So, back to my initial answer, Dan, where you said, should I stay out of it and let the five of them take care of it? I'll change my answer. I said yes. I'm going to change that answer. Absolutely. <laughs> Okie dokie. Let's see what we've got coming up. I want to take a look at this. I've got a, I got a, what I did is I went and I I printed them out. All right, I'm going to I'm going to talk to Katie here cuz there was a miraculous transformation that I don't think is going to last, but <laughs> it's good while it lasted. Bishop Robert Barron on the priesthood. Vatican II teaches that every baptized person is a participant in the threefold office of Jesus, which is priest, prophet, and king. So as priest, Christ is a sanctifier. He affects a reconciliation between divinity and humanity, right, by his great sacrifice on the cross. Every baptized person does indeed participate in that, in the measure that we all have that calling to reconcile divinity and humanity, to bring God to people and people to God. That's true of every baptized person. Vatican II further specifies that the ordained priesthood is different, not only in degree, but in kind. And it has to do with the identification between the ordained priest, I think, and the Mass, and a unique relationship to the sacraments. Every baptized person has a task of reconciling divinity and humanity. The ordained priest does it in this sort of heightened sacramental and Eucharistic way. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Call to Communion. Through EWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I've found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Called to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Over the last 50 years, we've had some of the greatest popes since the Reformation era. So why are things such a mess in American Catholicism? How do we analyze and confront the attacks we're facing? How do we identify wolves in sheep's clothing? How do we re-evangelize the baptized? Dr. Ralph Martin makes sense of a church in crisis and shows pathways forward. He'll make sense of a disordered world. Go to AveMariaRadio.net and you'll find it in our online bookstore. was watching a uh, very popular sitcom. The three kids were in the back seat, mom, dad, and front. And one of the kids said, these are all kids 
couple of them teenagers, one of them was 10 or so. One of the kids said, which one of us do you like best? And mom jumped right in immediately because she had to protect them from what dad might impulsively say. Oh, why don't we like you all the best? Oh, you all, all like the best. And dad goes, oh, I'd have to say I like blank. And he mentioned the kid. And she was just thunderstruck. How can you say, how can you like one kid more than another? I got to thinking about that. There's some truth to it. You don't relate equally well to all of your children. Now, if you want to call that like, go ahead. Fortunately, it doesn't necessarily coincide with love because your love is your commitment, your supervision, your will, your time, whatever it is to raise that child as best you can, given that child's personality. But in terms of relatability, especially as they get older, into their late teens, early 20s, you know as well as I do. They have different personalities, and it's not realistic to think I relate to every personality equally well. Because you have your own personality, and you have your likes and dislikes. Dr. Reed, you're uttering heresy. No, I'm not. I'm uttering reality. I have 10 kids. Some of them relate very well to me. Others, not quite so closely. Okay. Now, the ones that don't relate quite so closely, um, does that mean I'm going to relate as well to them as I relate to the ones who want my input, ask my advice, want to hang around me, are proud of me, whatever? No. Now, does that mean I'm going to say, well, if I don't like you as much, I don't love you as much? No, it's nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, I know I'm off on a tangent here. I'll get to this e-person right away. As a matter of fact, I think the kids that are more difficult are the ones you love more. Now, you may not be able to relate to them as well, but you love them more. Now, why is that? Because if love is a commitment, if love is patient, St. Paul says, love perseveres, then that kid requires more of your parental energy than the other kid that's easy to like. Is that not true? So on one hand, you may say, I don't relate as well to that child, but on the other hand, by the definition of love, which is not an emotion, not a feeling, but a commitment, you actually love the more difficult kid because you've had to commit your energy and tolerance and perseverance and supervision and discipline to raising this kid a lot more than the other one that you relate to more easily. Just my two cents. My son has two little boys. His wife, stay-at-home mom. My daughter just had a baby. Plans on returning to work. She wants me to babysit two days a week because she cannot get daycare during the COVID pandemic. My son, this is the one with the two little boys, feels this is unfair to him. Hey, mom, you're helping her out two days a week, and we're not getting anything just because my wife's a stay-at-home mom. 
Now, my third son, try to keep track of this now, is expecting a baby. His wife will also be a stay-at-home mother. He also feels it's unfair for me to babysit my daughter's baby two days a week while not babysitting his baby. You got this? Now, you got both sons saying... Well, actually, both sons, their mothers are stay-at-home moms. So so really, from a logistical perspective, they don't need it for grandma to babysit. But from a, well, mom, everything should be equal, and I'm not, and I'm not getting my fair share perspective, they're going to be upset with mom if she watches the working mom two days a week as opposed to not giving them two days a week. I'm assuming they want equal. They wouldn't be satisfied with two hours on a Thursday night. Given all that, I think several questions I have. One is the working mom. Maybe she has to work. Maybe they they can't make it financially without her working. Maybe she's a professional degree and she's got a career that... um, is something that's important to her, and so she's trying to work this out. She's trying to be a career mom and a and a home mom too. Grandma says, "I don't know how I can handle this in a way that my children will all feel they're being treated fairly." Oh, there's only one way to do that, Grandma. Just from what little you've described, there is only one way to make them think that you're being fair. <laughs> you have to give them all the same amount of babysitting hours. It's a little disappointing that your sons can't say, okay, I'm, okay, uh, don't get me up. I'm going to, I left this out of the initial sentences of the email because mom said, I'm a healthy 60-year-old woman with four incredible adult children. They're all married and they practice a Catholic faith. Just thought I'd brag. Well, that's nice. And I take your word for it, but I'm, a little perplexed why they're they're being so demanding why they can't say hey mom you know we we don't we don't really need the babysitting help we my wife's a stay-at-home mom uh my sister does so help her however you can why are they going to be upset at you because you're not being quote unquote fair in your allotment of babysitting time. Grandma says, I've considered not babysitting them at all. Okay, gonna let me do two days with her. Nobody gets anything. Except on occasional weekends or unusual circumstances. What are your thoughts, Dr. Ray? Well, I told you one of my thoughts. One of my thoughts is, uh, I'm a little surprised that your two sons are demanding this. Now, if they say, well, we need it too, here's the other thing. I don't know their financial situations. Maybe your sons do well financially so their wives can stay home. Well, okay, if they want to head out, get a babysitter. Pay her $3, $5, whatever the going rate is now an hour. Well, most of them want $25 an hour plus a 401k. However... I would suggest that you probably sit them all down. Well, I don't know. Maybe that would cause a little 
inflaming of the situation. But if you can, you say they're great kids, okay, send them all down. Say, hey, guys, I'm not sure what to do here. There isn't enough of me to go around. I would also wonder if your daughter that you're going to babysit two days a week for or thinking about knows that her brothers are saying, you can't do that. We get ours. Would she know that? And would she be upset at him? Would she view him as, wait a minute, you know, you have stay-at-home moms. This is this is part of your flexibility. So I got all kinds of questions swirling around for me here, Mary. If you want to just do it logistically, you say, I'll give all three of you one day a week. Or I'll give all three of you one day every other week. It's what I, it's what I can do for you. That's pro- That's the only way that they're going to look at this equitably as you've described it. Now, maybe they'll soften their hearts and say, hey, Ma, you're right. You're right. If you've explained it to me, she she does need your help more than we do. You can try that. You can explain it to the other two and say, hey, I'm doing this because she needs help. Well, she doesn't have to work. Uh, you don't want to get into that one. Well, she she works. So if I give her two days a week, what what how does that affect you see because it's all coming down to this isn't fair the this is the word that the teenagers yell it's not fair you're still getting some of that mary which which disappoints me so sum it up (laughs) you give each of them one day a week or one day every other week it's the only way you're going to be totally fair or you attempt to find out what it is in your son's reasoning that they feel that somehow you're shortchanging them if you help out your daughter who may need the help more than they do. I'm Dr. Ray. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John, chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus is in a discussion with some of the leaders of the Jews. They're talking about Abraham. Abraham lived 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. So in the course of the discussion, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He says that often in the Gospels. He who keeps my word or believes in me will never die. To which the Jews say, Now we know you have a demon. And they say, Abraham died, as did the prophets. All the patriarchs, the great men and women of the history of Israel. All these people died, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets, who died? Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. To which the Jews say, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child and wondering what Santa would bring? Well, in many developing countries like Haiti, most children don't make Christmas lists and they don't expect Christmas gifts. Often every penny their parents earn must go to basic needs like food, shelter, and water. Now picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift. You can spark that magical moment by sending them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary in the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. 
toward the end of this e-person version of The Doctor Is In. Dr. Ray Garendi, uh, my website is drray.com. have all 15 books there. A lot of people will say, Dr. Ray, can you give me some suggestions on this, that, the other? Well, the books deal with marriage. They deal with, of course, kids and discipline, parental self-confidence. They deal with faith. They deal with controlling your emotions. They deal with um, psychological perspectives from a faith perspective. My Thinking Like Jesus book was very popular. Deals with te- they deal with technology. Raising Upright Kids in an Upside-Down World talks about how, under your very nose, your kids can be shaped by the culture around them. And I help you stand strong and defy it. So those are all there. They're all signed. Books are all signed. I heard you speak last week. And this this was... Where was that? Okay. And used your idea for sentences. Now, it's really not my idea. I mean, this, this is common. This is an old, old idea that typically... For, for discipline, you have kids write sentences. The philosophy behind it, I think, has, has changed. Initially, the philosophy behind it was, if you write a sentence that says, for example, I will talk to my mother with respect, and you write that 50 times, that somehow that's going to pour its way into your brain, and you will be more likely in the future to talk to your mother with respect because you just hammered it in every time you wrote it went from your hand to your head I don't think that's so true I think that sentences are a written timeout I can't do anything else while I'm writing sentences I think you can juggle the number which makes the timeout shorter or longer 50 sentences 100 sentences so this This comes from Katie. My daughter, and I don't know how old she was, probably somewhere between, sounds like, 8 and 12, escalated to 800 sentences. In other words, Katie probably started at 50, and the daughter just couldn't shut her mouth. Mom went, that's 100. I don't see why I have to do this. It's really stupid. That's 150. I'm not doing them. That's 200. So Katie went all the way up to 800. That's a lot. Especially if they're really long sentences, you know, but probably not. Most parents don't assign long sentences. Multiple dependent clauses, you know, 34-word sentences. You know, who who was it? Uh, Faulkner, the author, wrote in these very uh, ornate long sentences. Katie says, by the time she was finished, it was like I had a completely different daughter. Well, that's true. Because by the time she was finished, she was probably four months older. (laughs) And this week has been absolutely amazing. Do you know what it was, Katie? It wasn't your sentences. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to burst your bubble. It wasn't your sentences. It was the fact that you followed through with something that your daughter couldn't believe you did. And you did it. And she wasn't going to press you again. She took you all the way to the wall, and it didn't work. Now, bad news, she's going to do it again. But every so often, you might have to do the sentencing. But isn't that something? One little follow-through, sticking to your guns, 
and her whole demeanor, her whole mood, her whole challenging attitude tapered into nothingness, as you describe it. It was not the sentences, Katie. It was the perception you gave your daughter of her mother. Thank you for joining me here on E-Person Monday. Walk with God. And you want to have your kids write some sentences while you're doing it? Go ahead. Oh, you said 10, Andrew. That's why. Okay, well, that's all right. Because Andrew said 10, which means which means I had 10 seconds left. Now I got 10 seconds left. Okay, walk with God and make your kids write sentences while you're doing it. <laughs> Baby, I'm Dr. Ray. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You're invited to attend the traditional Latin Mass each Sunday at St. Timothy Catholic Church. Located at 1515 South Theo Street in San Antonio, Holy Mass begins at 2 p.m. Join this vibrant community of Catholics as we participate in the beauty and reverence of the extraordinary form. If you grew up with this Mass and want to experience it again, or if you're just curious, visit us this Sunday at 2 p.m. at St. Timothy's Catholic Church. We look forward to seeing you there. The Guadalupe Radio Network is grateful for the financial support of Dr. David Seguin and Dental Care San Antonio, who helps make Catholic Radio possible. Dr. Seguin is committed to making your trips to the dentist enjoyable and ensuring your smile is the first thing you want people to see. You can reach Deacon Seguin at 210-496-2533 to find out more about the state-of-the-art dentistry in San Antonio. 210-496-2533. We are launching a brand new Catholic morning show. Howdy, Adrian Fonseca here, producer for the all-new Catholic Drive Time Show. We are launching all across America starting on December 9th from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. My team and I are ready to keep you informed and inspired. All the latest in Catholic news and discussion and amazing prizes on our Catholic trivia game. Don't miss the show Monday through Friday from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, launching on December 9th. Don't forget to say hi to the man behind the board. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio. On the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. And also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the advancements that have led to improving the health of so many. We beg you to inspire new breakthroughs in overcoming the coronavirus and all serious flu viruses. Protect, we pray, healthcare professionals from the illnesses they are treating and make them instruments of your healing. Amen. Celebrate Mother Angelica's remarkable life, words, and works. Visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica today.